0: This is a classic podcast from Unqualified Gamers.
1: Hear more at UnqualifiedGamers.com
0: How many speakers am I going to come out of?
1: Okay, if the listener of our podcast is listening on 5.1 channel speakers...
0: That's what I've got. Wait a minute, 5.1?
1: Yeah. Which speaker is the one? The smallest one. Oh, maybe my subwoofer is the smallest speaker. Does that make sense? I think it does in terms of, uh, of... That has to do with the ohms because the first speakers were invented by monks, actually Tibetan monks, and that's where that term comes from. Ohms, and so the amp has the lowest ohm gigawatts or gig uh, j- whatever I just said, and that's why it's the point one. Tibetan monks don't know math or decimals. That so is what, one. That's of how the, I know you're lying. No, that no. Okay, first of all, Tibetan monks are better at math and decimals than probably Laguna. That's, a, that's an unproven fact. You, there's no possible way you can prove that. Yes, there is. I can
0: prove they're not good at math because you've never seen a Tibetan monk doing math.
1: I could put you've never seen Laguna doing math.
0: He exi- Laguna exists in one space. He exists in Final Fantasy VIII and that's it. Yeah. So he wouldn't be – like you, don't, you never see him doing math and that would be the only place where you could legitimately see him doing math. Right,
1: and Tibetan monks only exist in Tibet in Tibetan Monkeries. That's how that works. Touché. Yeah. Right. So what are we talking about? I did not even know. Today video games. <laughs> this is a video game podcast. We are, in fact, video videogamepodcast.tumblr.com
0: Yeah, I heard that you secured that by uh, breaking some kneecaps.
1: Well, you know, kneecaps are what I break. What can I say? They do call you the kneecapper. They have only called they, me that. Actually, never called you that. No, they call me that, but only in uh, only in science lab.
0: Right. Right. So. So, so the listener has found themselves to, uh, to unqualified a video game podcast. Yes. we're podcast you, about video games.
1: Wow. I could not have said that better myself. It was succinct. It was eloquent. It's also the name of our f***ing podcast, so it would be pretty hard to mess up. Right, and I didn't. Well, so I, I wasn't trying to discredit you. Why You don't have to get defensive about it.
0: Point is, is we are two guys that have no business talking about video games other than the fact that we like them.
1: Uh, I don't know. I'm You know, the more I play, the more I feel, and the more we talk about them, the, the less unqualified I feel.
0: So eventually are we going to change the name of our podcast to semi-qualified, a video
1: game podcast? I think every two to seven years, yeah. We should think about a name change, semi-qualified, and then possibly um, somewhat qualified, and maybe, you know, in our eight hundredth episode we'll become qualified. I'm comfortable with that. Okay. So uh why don't you wrap up your little review of mini kimono?
0: Well it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a thick, kinda girthy, uh lengthy uh
1: wrap-up. I think I just threw up in my mouth while getting sexually aroused. Is that that, that was what I well. That was what I was going. What for. you were going for? Okay, okay, okay. That's fine. Well, well, fine. You do your little girthy deal, and then we'll just record another podcast with me talking. <laughs> Perfect.
0: So, uh, so li- listener, the the last time that, that uh, you that you joined us uh, by the fireplace, you and your loved one were, were listening to Cody and I talk about video games, and I mentioned that I had started Nino Cootie and I talked about all all the things that I loved about this game.
1: Wait, that was two that was two episodes ago, I think. I think it was two episodes. Because the ago. last episode was technically the Final Fantasy The Eternal Crystals podcast, which right, I. Fa- yeah.
0: Final Fantasy 13 2. Right. That's not so, what I said. So, uh, you know, I imagine our listeners listening, you know, by the fire uh, with their loved ones, because that's the kind of podcast we are. Uh, but, but anyway, I was talking about Ninokuni, which um, uh, if you don't remember or didn't listen to that episode, shame on you. But Ninokuni is a, uh, a Japanese role playing game developed by Level 5 Studios. Uh, the creators of Dragon Quest Eight and Dragon Quest IX, uh, the Professor Layton games, lots of great stuff. Um, and then it's also a Studio Ghibli joint, which is the uh, animation studio behind uh, Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away and Ponyo and My Neighbor Totoro and the very famous Japanese animations that, that made it to America. Anyway... I ranted, or I, I raved about it, and said, "Oh, this game is fantastic." I'm here to tell you that I never once didn't want to play this game when I was playing it. The game was phenomenal from start to finish.
1: How many? How how far were you into it in our last pod? The last time you talked about it, and how long of a game was it? So the last
0: time we talked about it, I was probably about four hours in. So I, I was in, you know, in Japanese role-playing game terms. That's
1: oh, that was just the tip. That's just the tip, right?
0: So, like the main, you know, the the girth of the game still hadn't. God damn it! I hadn't reached. I hadn't really reached uh, climax. I really hadn't reached climax. Thank exact.
1: you, thank you for that.
0: So, uh, so you know, I had just had kind of the tip of the game, and and uh, and so I knew there was a lot of game left, and so there was a lot of places for there. You know, in my mind, there were a lot of places for the game to go wrong. Japanese role playing games haven't had the. Uh, best track record this generation of systems
1: except for the except for Xenoblade Chronicles
0: right which I also loved and then Final Fantasy 13 12 uh 2 so there, there so I just want to make you I just want to make you heavy to bleep out uh as many times in the episode as possible no I'm
1: not gonna I I finished I stopped bleeping, bleeping that out a couple episodes ago because I, really, uh, yeah, I realized it was it was ridiculous, but but it sounds to me because you just said Japanese role playing games haven't been great lately. But at the same time, Xenoblade Chronicles, Xenocuni, you know, like Final Fantasy XIII two, are they seeing a resurgence? Would you? I say- don't.
0: I actually wouldn't put XIII-2. I just wanted you to bleep it out. I don't think thirteen two was a great Japanese role playing game. What about thirteen? It, okay. it was also okay. Okay. They were not great. Okay. And when you when you consider that the lifespan of this particular console cycle has been seven years. You know, I could probably drum up maybe two or three more, but over seven years, that's that's a drought. I mean, that's not that many, especially when you can go back to the PlayStation, well, Super Nintendo, PlayStation, PlayStation 2, and rattle off a billion of them. Uh, no hyperbole. That's There were, that's there were at least a billion. I think, yeah, I
1: think there were two or three billion. Uh, but 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 how many of those games came out in the last seven years in the last two or three years? Like, you know what I'm saying? Is it more skewed towards recent like a couple years, or is it really pretty spread out? In
0: I think it's more skewed towards the past few years because from from what I hear, the last story, which is the other Project Rainfall game that's already been released here in America, uh, was also phenomenal. I just haven't got around to playing it uh, or owning it. So, um, so yeah, maybe it is in the past few years. But the the point is, is that the, like it it's still with uh, a a piece of skepticism. I think that most people that enjoy Japanese role-playing games are going into new Japanese role-playing games. Yeah. Now I think I vaguely talked about like the systems of the game. Um, and I, I didn't even have a second party member. I think I had just gotten a second party member. Um, when we started, when we did our last, uh, yes. Release. And I hadn't even, I hadn't even like gotten into combat with a second party member. So I did not even know how that was all going to work. Um, since then, obviously, I, I completed the game. Um, you end up, you end up with, with three party members on the battlefield at a time, each with three different familiars. Uh, familiars are the Pokemon-like. Uh, it, it's Pokemon. I mean, it is, it, is, it is three Pokemon that each character has, uh, just to make it easier to understand for the average listener. Um, with set abilities that you can swap in and out, uh, every familiar can have eight abilities, um, four of which they can bring into battle. Uh, and then you can use gems to teach them new abilities that they wouldn't normally learn by themselves. They could just, you have to swap out for other abilities. It is is—it is very much like Pokemon.
1: Yeah, those are TMs. Exactly.
0: Uh, so um, you, get, you end up with three party members, and um, you only ever control one. Now, you're swapping in between. You can pick any of the three party members as well as any of the familiars to control. So for all intents and purposes, you've got 12 different playable characters on the battlefield, at the same time, and uh, because it has this real-time element to the battle system, um, I remember I remember talking talking the last time about how the battle system is f- way more complex than I think it first appears. Um, it's it's very deep. Like there's a lot to it, um, but you don't you don't I and I think I would say you don't have to master all of the intricacies of it to complete the game if you want to do some of the more difficult optional stuff and if you want to have an easier time with some of the transitions from area to area the more familiar familiar you are with like kind of the little tricks of the battle system are going to make it easier for you but i think that if you if you were using the basic strategies that the battle system allo- uh, like allows you you could still complete the game if that makes but, sense
1: so like like final fantasy tactics
0: they're sure but they're completely different because this is a real time.
1: Well, right, right, totally different, but Final Fantasy Tactics no one fully utilizes that battle system. When you can recruit certain people with certain zodiac signs that complement each other and adjusting brave and faith, there's no one uses every capability, but you can still get a general understanding in Finish the game, you know but what I'm saying?
0: I would argue that that game is like, the, like that's needless complication. Like it didn't need, huh. it didn't need to be that complex. I, I guess it's great that it's there, but like in this game, there are all those complexities, and if you want to, they're pretty accessible, pretty easy to understand. It's just kind of a lot to keep track of, and you actually have to have a fair amount of dexterity to switch as quickly as you need to uh, between kind of different tactics. For instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get into boss battles, which are by far the hardest parts of the game, are the boss battles um, the boss will the bosses typically have two or three kind of big abilities, and the big abilities will have a charge up time now you don 't see the charge up time, but the boss will get a little uh, like speech bubble above their head it 'll say the name of the ability um, and like the first time you see it you don 't know what it does, but you just assume that it 's going to be something bad. Mm-hmm. Well, there are – with triangle and square, there are quick uh, 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 commands for your party members that allow you to go all-out offense and all-out defense. So if you see one of these bubbles pop up, you can just hit the square button. It'll put your other two party members into all-out defense. You can then quickly change to a defensive familiar or or pick defend on whatever familiar you're using or evade on whatever familiar you're using – and then the monster's ability will go off. And if you do it correctly and if you're fast enough um, it'll give you a bonus for defending or evading the attack and more of these glims, which are the health and mana bubbles that pop out of enemies that you can get on the battlefield will pop out of the bosses. And that's how you keep your health and and, and uh, magic up during long boss fights. Hmm. So it really it rewards that quick switching. Now if you if you don't defend one of those big attacks, you won't necessarily die immediately, but you'll be crippled pretty heavily and healing in battle they they have made it take a decent amount of time, which is good because they I mean you need to have some penalization for screwing up, I would say um, One of the criticisms of the game that seems to be going around is that it's too hard. I actually never really found it all that difficult as long as I was using the all like the defend commands um i also tended to kind of have a balanced party i would keep defensive familiars on every single one of my characters as well as a healer on every one of my characters and then like an offensive one so i tried to balance that out but i i didn't feel like i had much of a problem i probably died a handful of times three or four times throughout the whole game so um
1: the game let's also let's also keep in mind that you have a generally higher skill level at jrpgs than others probably that's probably true because i
0: have played so many of them
1: i mean final fantasy 13 2 you thought was the easiest thing you'd ever played and i thought a couple parts were kind of frustrating i was i was upset with that game's difficulty
0: (laughs) um but but anyway uh the this game has um some very strong difficulty spikes like they're very high um and for some people that's good and some people that's bad. It is certainly a philosophy of of making your difficulty in a game. Um when you start the game, it doesn't have an easy and normal mode, but the the difficulties basically it goes anytime you transition from an area to a dungeon to then like a new area of the map, um, you you tend to get a pretty a a pretty aggressive difficulty spike. And you'll probably have some problems in that area until you level up. Now there are so many optional missions in the game, like the, the tasks and the, the bounty hunts in the game. Um, and it is very clear, and keep in mind, when I play JRPGs and I really like them, I do everything, all of the side stuff. That's just how I play the games. So I was doing all the side stuff, side, side missions as they came up. Like, so the, it's very clear to me that the, the design of this game is every time you reach a new area or every time you clear, clear a dungeon... You are supposed to go back to the side mission shop because there's a there's a shop that you go to get all the information on the side missions that are available to you. Get all the side missions, do all the side missions you can and then move on to the next kind of story beat. And and I will be the first to say if that does not sound like the way you want to play a a, a game, a role-playing game, this game's probably not for you because you're going to jump into you're going to jump into the next area uh, and you 're going to be frustrated because you 're going to be severely underpowered for those areas. That being said, the game is so good to me that i can 't understand how somebody would not want to stay in this world because these side missions are all about like exploring all the nooks and crannies that they 've got in the world um all about mastering the systems that they 've got in the world um like you know using the alchemy system to uh to Kind of learn how the the different ingredients are, are put together to make new weapons and new armor. Looking through that wizard's companion, uh, if if you didn't listen to last episode, there's a three hundred and like fifty page book <laughs> in the game, all all kind of flavor of the world. That's that's it, kind of its sole purpose. But they give you uh, they give you like tasks to go into this book and like translate ancient runes out of this book using an alphabet um, to like solve solve one of these characters' riddles. So, and all that stuff is great. It's so good. And it's so well implemented that like, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to do that. You like this type of game probably isn't for you. If you're not, if you're not interested in kind of delving into the world, because that is what they've created. They've, they, I mean, the whole point of this game is to make this giant world that you get lost in. And I know I talked about that the last time that we talked.
1: You sound kind of like if, if you don't, if you don't want to get immersed in this awesome world, what the f*** is wrong yeah, fuck, with you? <laughs> fuck you.
0: Fuck you for not wanting to get immersed in this world. Well, no, it's, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to put, I guess, put it in a little perspective, because like, if you are, I, like, if, I love role-playing games, so yeah. I would, I would, you know, the, the game lover in me would go up to everyone and be like oh my god you gotta fucking play this game you gotta play this game right now because it's so good and it's beautiful and it's got all this like the, the combat system is so good and the voice acting is so good and the story is great and everything's so good and oh my god this game is so good and then somebody who has absolutely no interest in role-playing games would get it and they'd be like i fucking hate this this is the worst thing ever because it's a role-playing game so i'm just trying to put it into perspective that like this is as Japanese role-playing game as you are going to find right now. It is as traditional Japanese role-playing game as you are going to find. You're going to have to grind at certain points in the game. That is just going to be part of the game. Mm. Um, Like, there's going to be a lot of dialogue. There's going to be a lot of cutscenes. They're all very well done. The dialogue is wonderful. The writing is wonderful. The localization, best localization I've ever seen. But... You're gonna be like listening to a lot of story, and if that doesn't sound like your thing, you know, don't like don't look into this game because it's it's probably not for you. So that all being said, um, I want to talk, I think, about story structure a little bit because this game does something with story uh, that I think is genius, and and what they do is from the very beginning of the game, you as the player. Are exposed to the ultimate big bad at the end of the game, like there. There's all these like Disney-style cutaways to the evil lair, uh, or the the lair of the of the uh, ultimate evil guy, and uh, it's the White Witch. I mean, the, the name of the game is *Ninokuni: Wrath of the White Witch*. So you'll get you'll get these scenes of the white, Witch talking to this council of the 12 Zodiacs and they're, they're talking ominously about how, about destroying the world and blah, blah, blah. And they sound like the most evil villains imaginable. But the genius thing is that they've enlisted the help of this dark Djinn named Shadar in the game. And in this other world that you get transported to as the main character, Nobody even knows that the White Witch exists. The only thing that they fear is this entity known as Shadar. Okay? Mm, okay. So, throughout the entire game, you're, like, playing this game, and even your main characters, their sole goal is to destroy Shadar, this dark jinn. But you as the player know there's this, like, other force that's driving even this Shadar f- character. So, um... You're playing, you're playing through the game, you're playing through the game, and the game has your standard story structure where it's just kind of building action, building action, building action. There'll be mini climaxes. You'll get kind of that tension release. You'll build again, you'll build again. Eventually, you are leading up to this giant confrontation with Shadar. And you reach this confrontation, and when you reach this confrontation, your characters still don't know about the White Witch. They still have no idea who's, like, pulling the strings, Hmm. Um, and like most JRPGs, you know that the the first boss is not the boss. There's always some other ultimate evil that. But but the the gag is that whereas in other JRPGs you find out the ultimate evil at the same time the characters do, you've known about this white witch the entire time. So like this whole time you're like, yeah, Shadar's this bad guy, but there's this other there's this other chick that's like far worse and doing way worse things. But anyway, you get to Sh- you get to Shadar. You go through, uh, you go through. You know his his castle, which is one of one of the coolest castles that one of the coolest dungeons in in a role playing game I can remember.
1: Gameplay wise or design wise? Design does
0: design wise. I mean, the gameplay doesn't change; it's all the same combat. But mm-hmm. the design of the dungeon's awesome. Um, but then that gets done, uh, and your characters basically the game ends once, and the creators of this game could have rolled a credit scene there and it would have it would have made uh it would have made a it would have made a great story like that that story by itself and and they even they even kind of do because there's this cut to black and it says and that was the story of the dark Djinn, but you know there's more as the as the player um and then like the screen rises back up and you're back in the game but they do kind of uh they do kind of use that to to show all right this is the end of one story and then they use this white witch character as almost an epilogue so your all this bad shit happens real quick after you beat the dark Djinn, but you immediately get to see all of the characters that you met and that you you know fell in love with uh throughout the course of the game they kind of all rally pretty quickly to go to, to realize they need to go kill this white witch chick. So very deftly they manage they manage to, uh, kind of bring all of the main story beats together at the end of the story to create this epilogue that you then go do. You get to go do the final dungeon. There's like a final set of side quests. The final dungeon is the hardest dungeon in the game. Um, and then the final boss is the hardest boss in the game. And then after that, there's no real ending because you've already had your ending. You had your ending after you beat Shadar. So the epilogue really feels just it like it feels like an epilogue. Um and it was really satisfying hmm. because it felt like a really long ending. Um and I just thought it, they I I can't remember another game that really handled the story that way. There's always it always seems to me let like you get a game like You get a game like Final Fantasy IX, if you're talking about if you're talking about Japanese role-playing games, and in that game, Kuja is your ultimate evil, and you're working towards killing Kuja, and and you're working that way, working that way, working that way, and you get to the end of the game, and you fight Kuja, and you kill Kuja or you defeat Kuja, and then all of a sudden, (laughs) like literally, all of a sudden. This ominous voice booms out from the heavens and says, it was me all along. Turns out Kuja wasn't that bad of a guy, you know, and like that's that's not the only example of that. There are lots of examples of that happening. Ultimecia in Final Fantasy VIII. I mean, it's like a very standard. Mm, Her her less so. It's a very standard JRPG trope. Yeah, plan. I would
1: Zemus and Zeromus. Well, Zemus, you could say even because Golbez is the big bad the whole time, and then oh, never mind. There's a guy in the moon.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we're just talking right now. We're just using Final Fantasy as examples. Lots of other franchises have had the same example in, in Breath of Fire Three. You get to the end, and then you you have oh, to fight God. God don't, I hate that game. And that happens. That happens in the other Breath of Fire games as well. Yeah. So, so like it's it's not it's. It's it's like a Japanese role playing game thing that there's the the anti always has to be upped at the very end to where you're fighting. You're fighting Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior at at the end of every at the end of every JRPG. But this I mean, this game, you as the player know the entire time, like the White Witch is a bad chick. She is the worst chick. And you're going to have to kill her at the end of this game. Like that is what this is building to whether your characters know it or not. You've known it since the beginning. Um, So I found that really
1: cool. Do you think that they did that for the American audience? Like, do you think that because I that that as a trope is annoying as hell. Like a lot of people complain about the end of Final Fantasy nine because they're like, where did this rando come from that I have to fight now? And things like that. So do you think that the story was kind of. Tailored a bit that way so that the player is isn't blindsided with that white witch.
0: I would say no, because the there was a there was a chance, and it was an off chance that this game wouldn't even reach America. There was a period of time where they weren't, they didn't, they hadn't even announced that they were going to.
1: Oh, that's true.
0: So, I mean, this was definitely written from like the Japanese perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just. I, I guess I would just say it is just very well done. It is just much better done than it's just done better. It's
1: just than others. Yeah. Did did it tie in the fact that the that the player knows about the White Witch? Like, are there little jokes here? Like, oh well, nobody's worse than the Lich, obviously, or things like that? That kind of are a little tongue in cheek.
0: No, because the like there were no. This game is not a humorous game. It's it's a whimsical game like oh it's
1: like spirited away
0: yeah like the humor doesn't come from jokes it comes from like you know oh ha, ha. it's a it's a funny thing that happened in the context of this world yeah um, that being said another point I want to talk about the story is good good on uh, the writers of this game to use in an eight-year-old boy, uh, you know, a nine-year-old girl. I'm estimating their ages. I'm pretty sure Oliver is, we're we're told he's eight. She might be nine or ten. And then there's kind of like a a grown-up, I think young 20s, I would put him in, male. Because what that does is it avoids one of the most annoying JRPG tropes, and that's the ham-fisted, horrible love story that happens in <laughs> so many and not just role playing games in so many fucking games in general, the writing is so bad in video games that like just in general, like you try to then put bad writing and then try to put some sort of romance in a video game as well, and they're ninety five percent of the time they're
1: horseshit. they but are what other video games to hoard in romance because I'm trying to think of role playing games i mean.
0: Renoa, you could argue Cloud and Eris. there there was connection there. Um Zidane Zidane and Dagger. I I just went through three Final Fantasy
1: games and couldn't name them. See, but but to me I thought that okay, the Unit or uh, Squall and um Squall and Renoa absolutely forced, didn't make any sense. Okay. The Zidane Dagger thing I thought was really dynamic and I thought the writing was good with that one. Um and Titus and Unai, I guess, wasn't really fantastic either. So yeah, there were some bad ones, I guess.
0: I guess I would. Pu- I guess what I would say is it was good for a game, but it was not a good. It was not good in a lit- like in a literary sense. No,
1: that ma- that makes sense. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's good because it's the best we got, and that's. <laughs> I mean, and that's you know, that's not a fun way to look at it for me. Like, but you 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 create this this world, and I know I talked about the protagonists being young the last time and, and about how great i thought that that helped them transition to this insane alternate dimension with familiars and magic you know and you just you it is it is so clearly not on anybody's mind like that is not their concern and that that is never their concern and there's no there's no awkward like half sexual jokes that get made because <laughs> those all the time in games uh there's no awkward badly written tension between characters it's just like it it feels like a fairy tale like this the game just feels like you're playing the most whimsical of fairy tales that you could possibly imagine and things that you easily could not imagine because they're like they're out of the mind of Studio Ghibli right Mm -hmm. um so you know drippy the drippy the prince of the fairies that you first meet that like is your doll in the in the real world and then he turns into the prince of the fairies who has a lantern hanging off his nose like it's just it the game is just full of this this charming fairy tale like quality and it is so easy to get lost in it and that is by far the best part about the game I just, yeah, you it's, seem
1: pretty into the whole world it, and environment.
0: It's just so well-crafted. It's so well-crafted. And I think, and, and something happened when I was playing this game that has never, and I can honestly say it's never happened to me before, but I, I was about 30 hours into the game, and I knew I was, like, I was, I was past the halfway point. I was, like, coming up on the, on the climax. I was, like, approaching Shadar's castle, and uh, I didn't want to play it and i it's not that i didn't want to play it because i was at a part that was tedious i literally didn't want to play it because i was already thinking about how sad i was going to be when the game was over that is how much i liked this game so that to me was just that was a testament and i can't give it a more ringing endorsement than that that like it it was to the point where i was already anticipating missing being in this world
1: yeah have you had that with tv series before absolutely okay so but you've never had it with a video game
0: not really uh no not that i can remember and that could be because you know generally the writing in tv is a little better than the writing in video games not to mention you spend you know 40 plus hours with a video game most of the time you're ready to finish that like at in in my experience anyway like i get to the end and it's like man, i have been on this ride for a long long time i'm ready to see the end of it i'm ready to move on to another game
1: yeah um
0: it could be that i don't have any other games really lined up right now i'm 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 kind of in a uh, in a lull i mean i've got lots of other games i could play but there weren't anything that i'm there's not anything that i'm dying to play right now yeah um so it could be that i knew this kind of lull was going to be coming after this but i think it really is more just that the, i was so invested in the characters i was so lost in the world that i just i didn't want it to end and i knew it, i knew it would you know and they do a really good job there's like you beat the game and then it unlocks a bunch of extra stuff you can go do there's a ton of extra side quests that are going to take uh m- more time than like any of the other side quests that they give you um and i've started on those and i'm dabbling around with those but it just like it it feels over and it it uh it feels it i feel like i've got a hole left where Nino kuni was poor john so you know i can't recommend this game enough um like i would say anybody could find enjoyment out of this game unless you are like a very impatient person and and you don't come to games uh you come to games for like a quick fix um but the the game is just wonderful. It really is, it is it is awesome.
1: Do you um, do you think you're going to replay through it again soon? Not not soon. Um, the
0: if there were replayability in this game, and I guess there is, um, it would be because you would go through with a new setup of familiars, because there's you can have four hundred familiars in your like familiar pen. Oh, okay. So, so I think there are something like there's – th- there's, for every familiar, there's three different like phases. There's their beginner, intermediate, and then after that, you can use an item to pr- promote them to one of two different evolutions then. So like every familiar set has uh, – you've got your basic creature, your intermediate creature, and then you can evolve that intermediate creature into two different creatures after that. So, like, you have a choice; it branches off there, and then that's its final evolution. Um, so, there's about 60 different different familiars you can end up training. Uh, some, of course, are much more rare than others, like in terms of where you find them in the world. Um, so, and, and then you can hold 400 different familiars. So, like the the possibilities of familiar teams are endless, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the other cool things is, like, in the you can go to the Wizard's Companion that book. And it's got all of the different familiars you can find. And then as you play the game and and uncover different areas, the book will fill out with information on the familiars. So like if you enter a dungeon that houses this one familiar, you could go to this familiar's entry in the wizard's companion and look at it and it will have information like strengths and weaknesses of that monster, which before it would say unknown. It'll fill that out with like items it'll drop and different abilities it can learn. Wizard's companion ends up kind of acting like a strategy guide in case you need to find specific items you're looking to get dropped, you know, or something like that
1: yeah, a three hundred some page in game strategy guide
0: that said there is something that that it doesn't do that pisses me off uh oh
1: it's one thing that bothers you what is it
0: one of the it's one of the very few things in the game that really that really bothered me is that there's no way to tell one the like the max level of the of your familiar because there are different max levels for familiars in the game mm-hmm. but two you like how good are your familiar is going to be at higher levels um and I, I guess what i mean is like you take you take final fantasy 13 too which had a familiar system right, right. J- just with by simply having different attributes for your monsters and by saying the monster, you know, I think they used like late bloomer, or like early bloomer. It was yeah, like, they had
1: like five or six different
0: classifications. Well-grown, late bloomer, or early peaker, I think was what they were. Mm-hmm. And just by telling you that, the early peaker knew that it's going to get, its going, stats are going to raise very high very quickly, and then it's going to stop. It's just going to be at max level. You know, well-grown, you knew, because I told you this, that it was going to have like a mid-range max level with kind of higher stats than an early peaker, And then the late bloomers were going to have the highest levels with the highest stats. You knew that just by looking at that, there is literally no way to tell in game without consulting an outside source. And maybe that's what they were going for, but why have a 350 page book inside your game? Because your familiars are everything to the combat system. They are everything. They are the complete driving force to your gameplay mechanic. So you as the player, I guess I feel like you should be given as much information on these familiars as possible because they, they are like, they are the driving force of your game. What's the best part about Pokemon? The best part about Pokemon is, is misty making your, I'm going to ignore you is making (laughs) your team like, Looking at all the different Pokemon and being like, I want to make a six Pokemon team with these six characters and these abilities. And you can, like, look and break that down. Now, with Pokemon, I think they typically expect you to consult an outside source. But the point... You to,
1: Pokedex, and Pokedex has a lot of info.
0: But the point I'm trying to make is that the team building is the best part. The team building of this game is the, the best part about the combat. Like, that's the most fun, is like, what team can I make to best just demolish everything else, you know? And because there's so many possibilities. Uh, So I just feel like there's a general lack of information on the familiars, which, like I said, are the most important part of the game. So I just wish there was some more information on that.
1: Well, how badly does it hurt the game? Because, I mean, you you were still able to get through it, right?
0: So every character can have three familiars, Right. Right. At the end, I was lucky if I got to use two different familiars of each character in battle.
1: And because I just, the other ones were too weak
0: Yeah, because the other ones, even though I had been leveling up them they had been leveling them up for a long time, their stats just didn't raise to a level where they were effective at all because mm. I would not have known that unless I had tried to level them up so it just it you know rather than have two familiars that are good and one useless familiar, I'd rather have three pretty good familiars and have to use all of them because it would make the combat more dynamic that way. Right. Uh, because like my, like my general mantra of battle at the, at the end of the game, when I finally got to the end of, of the game, tended to be pick this one familiar. Okay, once my characters start to get hurt, switch back to Oliver, use Oliver to heal my other characters. So I kind of played the healer role and then just let them pick what they want to do to kill the enemies. Right. Uh, which was fun for me because it was fun for me to to heat like heal on the battlefield, and then I would switch to another familiar and then and then maybe use an ability and, and fight or you know put something to sleep or confuse something um, but like that tended to be my my general mantra of gameplay. It would have been a lot more fun for me, and I'm not saying it wasn't fun, but I'm saying it would have been more fun if I could have if I had to use all three of those familiars in Oliver's set and switch back to Oliver Oliver, for instance, to do things.
1: I I totally get where you're coming from. I'm the same way when I start a lot of games where I know there are certain like characters or items or especially games where you're collecting components that you need to spend on things. You know, I sometimes, not always, will like do a search before I start playing the game for like, okay... Like especially Final Fantasy Thirteen when you had all these materials that you could use to upgrade weapons and things like that. I'm like, okay, what am I going to need to use? Do I want to upgrade here, or do I want to save it for two save points from now when I can upgrade it to something three times as good with this material and like the same kind of stuff? So going into you know Cooney, one might recommend to the listener that they search for like the best party <laughs> for the end of the game, and then as soon as they get those creatures, start leveling them up.
0: Yeah, and and you know if if you're uh, planning on just going through the game, getting to the end and then being done, you can do it on your own. Like, you could, like, I. but once I got past the end game and wanted to do some of the more optional stuff, uh, specifically, there's, like, a battle coliseum, like, you really need the the best of stuff uh, to complete some of these, these optional side quests at the end of the game. So, like, I had to go back I had to go back and like find some of these familiars that are that you know are considered to be the best and level them up from scratch. And I mean that that was tedious. That was not fun. Yeah. But I had already I had already had all of my fun with the game. I'd already beaten the game. The game gave me a ton of pleasure. So like I wasn't going to have any beef about that. You know, this right. this was purely optional stuff that they put in for the hardcore people that want to go back and complete everything. I get that. But I would have liked to have just known that information up front. Maybe I could have just collected those familiars at first
1: or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, a little bit easier. I totally understand where you're coming from. I've never been able to get into post-game gaming. Like with the Civilization series, you know, once you achieve a certain victory, you can just keep going. Like once I hit that, I'm like, well, I'm done. Why? You know, unless you want to get like total world domination, but I've never been a fan of post game gaming. You know what I mean?
0: Sure. And I think, you know, that could be some, some games do it better than others too.
1: Yes. Well, what are good examples of games that, that do a good post game?
0: Um, well, this game I thought did a very good job. Um, for me, if you, if you've ever played Lunar 2, uh, Eternal Blue, that game has a pretty epic story. Uh, it's a pretty standard tropey story, but it's a very epic in nature. Yeah. And then you get done and there's an epilogue that kind of brings all the characters back together again. Uh, mm-hmm. And the epilogue is decently long and, and pretty difficult.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I, cause I, I don't remember offhand, Exactly, but I remember growing up, there was an RPG.
0: Well, New Game Plus, New Game Plus after Chrono Trigger became a thing that a lot of games started to do. New Game Plus
1: is awesome, though.
0: Yeah, but yeah, but it's a, it's something a lot of games started to do, and not just in the role playing game genre. There's a lot of genres now um, where you can go in. I think Bayonetta does that, where you can go in. Um, oh, nice. Uh, with uh, with the abilities that you learned throughout the, the course of the game, um, and the the weapons and stuff that you'd accumulated. Um,
1: but that's different. I mean, that's replaying. I'm talking like you beat the game, the end boss is dead, and now you can still walk around the world map and you know do whatever. In, in I don't know for some reason. Well,
0: I mean, we live in a post DLC world, so any game with uh, solid DLC, I would you could argue, is 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 post game stuff.
1: Okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, you're right. It's probably evolving over time too. But um, maybe next episode we can. I one of us will be able to remember any other examples because <laughs> I I know there are some and I, I just I get to the end and I kill the baddie and then I'm walking around the world map and I'm like okay so what am I doing you know it
0: yeah me. it's it's something I would I would need to think about but uh, I know yeah I know there are plenty of examples though that have uh, good end game and you know and I a bad end game would be to just allow you to then roam around the world I mean, right. At least this game gives you objectives as to other things you can do, so um anyway i can 't recommend this game enough. I would say if you can get it get your hands on it because there aren't uh, there aren't going to be a lot of copies of it. I can uh, say that with uh, a, a good amount of confidence um, and it probably won 't drop in price all that much, so you're probably going to have to shell out some money for it because uh, at some point the copies are all going to be gone uh, and they won 't do this is not this is not the comp- this is not a company that does second prints of things or third prints of things i mean they'll they'll probably do a second print um, but it's not going to be a game like mass effect 3 where you can go and at any point in your life be able to find it because ea made 70 billion copies of it <laughs> did they yeah it's just it's not this company doesn't do things that way um so but i yeah i would recommend it to anyone it's it's a wonderful wonderful yeah, game yeah and
1: listener if you can think of any examples of good or bad video games that had uh post ending Walk around and do whatever. And you're listening at videogamepodcast.tumblr.com. Then please uh, reply to this post, or leave a comment, or ask us a question if you have one. There's ways to interact with us. You know? Did you know that, John? I did. Hey, can't you find us on iTunes? Too? Yeah, we're on iTunes too. Which I think a lot of a lot of people would use. What the what the iTunes? I think a lot of people use the iTunes. The iTunes is uh well it's a thi- it's not like the MySpace. Quite the new MySpace. The new MySpace. Have you been on the new MySpace? Anyway, you can find us
0: at, uh, at 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 iTunes. We are at you know we are unqualified pod unqualified video game podcast. You can also
1: find a link to our iTunes feed on videogamepodcast.tumblr.com. Perfect. Seems like a one stop shop. It it is. That's why I am such a big fan. And no, seriously, have you been in the new MySpace? No. It's awesome. Check it out. I'll send you an invite. You won't accept it or look at it because you only browse the internet on mobile devices apparently but you know it's the thought that counts i kind of i kind of do only browse the internet <laughs> on mobile devices yeah i'm serious i really no, i do. know you do that's why you never write tumblr posts because you'd have to put them in your little phone dirt, 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 thumbs only dirt, dirt, dirt. but whatever that's cool